know, today we're going to continue our series that we've been in, the Revelation to the Church. Uh, if you can recall back the last few weeks, what we've done so far is we've looked at four of the seven churches uh, that we'll be looking at. We've looked at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. Uh, this week we're going to be looking at the letter to the church at Sardis. Now Sardis was one of the oldest cities in Asia Minor. It was located about 10 miles south of Thyatira near the modern city of Izmir in Turkey. Okay, um, It was also, like several other of these cities, set along a major, some major trade routes that really helped it become a very prosperous city because a lot of, a lot of trade, a lot of business took place there. Um, interesting. Uh, Sardis kind of got some cool stuff. Sardis is where uh, uh, people believe that the dying of wool first took place. It's where they first learned to dye and color wool. It's also where the minting of gold and silver coins in the formats that we're, we think of coins uh, is supposedly it first happened. Uh, now here's one a lot of you will, rec will be interested in. You remember the name Aesop? Yeah, well Aesop supposedly, the guy that wrote the fables, supposedly Aesop uh, was born and came from Sardis as well. That was one of my favorite cartoon shows when I was a kid. It was a thing called Aesop's Fables. That was So anyway, but Aesop was from there. But really what's amazing when you get down to it is, is one of the things that Sardis was most well known for, it's one of its biggest like tourist attractions, was its cemetery. It, was, it had this, it was called a necropolis, and this necropolis had over 1,000 burial mounds. Now, that might sound like not so many, but that's not an individual grave. These are burial mounds that have many, many people buried there. So there was a lot of people that were buried in these things. And so it was kind of like a tourist attraction, which is sort of an interesting thing when you think about it. It's a city that's known more for what's dead than, you know, other things. And so kind of a, a strange thing. The other thing about Sardis that was very unique, it was built on a hilltop, on, on, a, on a high bluff. And so what you had was this hilltop was about 1,500 feet above the, the valley floor. And what was very unique about it were three sides of this hilltop. The walls up were like a sheer cliff, literally a sheer rock wall. On the south side of the city, there was... You could, you could walk up, it was more of a, you know, of, a, of a slope up, but it was a very difficult slope. It wasn't a nice smooth thing. It was rocky and difficult, okay? But because three sides of it were, were, were this sheer wall and the fourth side that you could approach, but it was very difficult to approach, it was slow. You couldn't like ride a horse really fast up this hill. It was windy and rocky and all this. So that the city was thought by most people to actually be an, an impenetrable fortress. Okay? Now, here's the thing that's difficult, and here's the thing that's critical about that. Because the city leaders thought that their location made them invulnerable and it was impenetrable, over time they became complacent. Okay, they didn't even bother to post a guard to watch over those three sides of the city because they said nobody can get up there. Okay, so they only had a guard facing down, you know, watching the southern slope. Okay, because they thought that was the only possible uh, way of approach. So this this overconfidence, right, led to a lack of vigilance. And as a result of that, the city of Sardis was overrun two times in its history. The first by the Persian general, that some of you will recognize the name from the Bible, Cyrus. Okay, by Cyrus in the 6th century B.C. And then again in the 3rd century B.C. by Antiochus the Great. In both cases, what, the, what these attacking generals did was they brought their armies to the to the base of the southern side, you know, the base of the long, hard route up, okay, and, and, and started preparing them to, to go up and attack. But, of course, that's where all the guards up on the top were watching. 
And so they were looking down going, well, those guys will just get them as they come up. But guess what? Because the people in Sardis had no guards on the other three sides of the wall, both times the attacking generals sent a few, a few soldiers around to the other sides. And they said, take your time. Be careful. Climb slowly. Take all the time you need to safely climb up the wall because no one is watching. And then when you get to the top and you climb over the wall, just walk through town, go to the gate, pop it open, and there we are. And that's how they were attacked. They were attacked from within because of their complacency and lack of preparation and lack of guarding. They, they arrived un, unnoticed and they just walked through the city. They opened the gates and allowed the intruders to come in. Okay? Isn't that interesting how that can apply to our lives as well? We can become complacent and let our guard down and, and, and because we can think in a certain area of our life we're un, un, invulnerable, right? We're not vulnerable. And the enemy just comes around where we're not, where we're not guarding just comes on in. Okay, so with that as a background, let's read uh, this letter to the church at Sardis and see uh, not only what it had to say to the folks back then, but how it applies to us today. Okay, so this is in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And this is to the angel of the church at Sardis. He wrote, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so now you can recall from the letters to the churches we've already reviewed so far how right after the greeting, John, you know, Jesus always had John give the church a commendation, right, a, 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 to call out an area that they were really doing well at, really strong at. Well, unlike the other churches, Jesus had no commendation for this church. It's the only one of the letters where there was no commendation. So now, based on what you've seen so far, if there is no commendation, what does that say about the church at Sardis? It, the church, yeah, well, lukewarm, dead? Yeah. The, the, I mean, if there is no commendation, right? They... They, they weren't watching, and so they had slipped away. Yeah, but there was no, there was nothing. There was nothing good. There was nothing that Jesus could, could call out. I mean, think about it, right? You know, you know, they've always talked about if you want to give somebody some coaching or some criticism, you ever heard kind of the, the sandwich approach? You know, tell them something good, then tell them, you know, what they need to hear, and then, but end with, a, you know, some encouragement, right? You know, so... You, because you're not trying to beat people up. You're trying to encourage them, right? And so you say, hey, you know, you look really nice today. By the way, you probably should shine your shoes. But, you know, but just imagine how nice you'll look when you do, you know. I mean, it's just like that, right? But here's a, here's a guy, here's a church that got no commendation. There was nothing. So there's a problem here, right? Because, because there was nothing to commend them for. And he goes immediately into the rebuke. And he says, and it's really the harshest criticism, I think, of to all the churches because what he says is, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. 
You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. It's a church that had become, they were followers of Jesus in name only. Only in name. Okay? While their actions aren't called out, now it doesn't tell us exactly what they were. One, one thing a number of people imagine could have been an area of weakness or difficulty for them is because it was a very wealthy city, okay, because there was a great amount of wealth there, uh, that it may have had to do with their generosity to the poor. And, and it's not that they weren't generous. It's they were generous for the wrong reason. They weren't being generous out of loving, giving, thankful, grateful hearts. They were being generous to the poor as a show, as a show to draw attention to themselves. Look, the character and life of a church can be revealed by its deeds, by what it does, but apparently at Sardis, right, the, the, the nature of the church, the actions of the church were not being done to honor and please God, but rather to impress people who would see it. Interesting thing about Sardis, the church doesn't seem to be troubled by its environment either. Remember as we read through the letter, there was no, remember in some of the previous letters we've talked, it's been talk about persecution and martyrs and things like that. There was no talk about that. The church doesn't seem to be getting any trouble uh, from, from people outside. There's no mention of persecution or martyrs. So maybe the church had just decided that it was uh, a better path to just kind of get along. You know, just, just kind of go along and get along. So it's a sad note. If you think back to the first week when we started uh, and we looked at the church at Ephesus, that church, its, its problem, its rebuke was it lacked love. It had forgotten and, and moved away from its first love. Even sadder, here at Sardis, the criticism, it lacked life. It lacked life. Look, every other church that we've looked at, and even the ones in the weeks ahead that we will look at, there were struggles, there were conflicts, there was even persecution. Now, can you and I all agree that conflicts and tension and struggles are not pleasant? Can we all agree that if somebody said, well, you can choose, you know, would you like struggles and persecution or would you like it not to be? We'd all probably pick the flat, easy road, right? Okay, okay. But here's the, here's the deal with this spiritually. Okay, while struggles are unpleasant, they are actually signs of life. Does that make sense? The fact that these churches were having struggles, these other ones, at least that meant they were alive, they were active, they were doing something over here. There's no sign of life. They're just rolling down the street, everything with nothing, with nothing. So there was no spiritual life at the church in Sardis. They had taken on the personality and the moral attitudes of the city that they, that they lived in, which is standing in direct contrast to Jesus' own claim about himself in John 10.10, 10, because Jesus said, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you life and to have it to the full. Okay. Uh, I don't know. How many astronomers are in the room today? How many, how many astronomers are here? I, I, I'm sure there's at least seven or eight, right? Okay. And another group of you on, on, you know, online. Okay. But, you know, however many astronomers we have today, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm no doubt somewhere along the way, you've, you've read a little bit about outer space. Okay, and, and one of the first things we all learned when we read about outer space is it's big, <laughs> right? I mean, I, okay, I, I don't, I'm not, I, if I'm getting too technical here, don't, you know. <laughs> outer space is big, right? It's really, really big. I think driving from like, you know, here, you know, to Duluth is a big deal, okay? Outer space, that's like not even leaving the garage, you know, that, okay? Outer space is big. In fact, it's so big, right, that scientists and astronomers had to come up with a way, a new, back years ago, a new unit of distance, a new unit of measure, because otherwise the numbers got so big, it was crazy. And so 
That was called a light year, right? A light year. So now, so here's the one, here's the biggest number I'll use today. Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. Per second. That's fast. That's fast, okay? I mean, man, I could fly to Duluth like, like that, you know, okay? But, but so here's the thing. Like light from the sun, when you look at the sun, and don't look at it, but, you know, when you look at it, right, the light you're seeing left the sun eight minutes ago. Okay, so the light you actually see actually radiated from the sun eight minutes before you actually see it. Does that make sense? Okay, okay. So now at 186,000 miles per second, in a year, light travels six trillion miles. Okay, so now here's the thing. So let's say that one of those, you're, some beautiful night, you're out in your yard and you're looking up at the stars and you see one of those beautiful stars and you know how they're kind of twinkling and looking so pretty, okay? And you're going, that is a beautiful star. And let's imagine that that star is 30 light years away from here, okay? Which in the outer space thing, that's no big deal. There's stuff that's a lot further than that, okay? But it's 30 light years away. So it, it okay, that switches a long way away, okay? But you're looking at it tonight, you're going, how beautiful. Okay, what if, here's the thing, if tonight, while you're looking at it, if that star exploded, if it blew up, you know, vaporized, no longer existed, it was absolutely not a beautiful star anymore, it didn't exist. Okay, but every, because it's, 30 light years away, every night for the next 30 years, you'd go outside, look up there, and there would be that beautiful star, just like it always was. Except that, even though it still looks beautiful to you, it's dead. It's gone. It doesn't exist. 30 years from now, on May the 7th, you'd look up there, and you'd go, what happened to the star? not knowing it had been dead for 30 years. Okay? You'd be admiring a relic all those years. You'd be admiring, you'd be complimenting, you'd talking about something that simply didn't exist. It still looked good to the eye, but there was actually nothing there. That was the church at Sardis. Still looked good. Everybody thought it was fine. Nothing there. Okay, so to you, what does a spiritually dead church look like? What would be some attributes? of a spiritually dead church. What do you think? No participation. No, no participation. So you better participate. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, yeah, okay, what else? Not caring. Not caring. No, no emphasis. In fact, the word of God may not even be preached much, right? Or you know, read. Yeah, it's 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 a different focus, but it's not focused on the word of God. Any other ideas? Going through the. It's a church that's just going through the motions, right? Just showing up and going through the motions. Great answer. Yeah, it's it's people are showing up. Not because they actually expect anything to happen. It's just that's what I do. It's a job. Yeah, I, I show up and you know punch the card and right go you know go to lunch. Okay, no, I mean really I think you've had it. You've hit it. Okay, I mean a spiritually dead church, and I'm sure there's more. You know, I just a few. I thought it's a place where God's word is no longer preached and certainly not not focused on. Right? That's not the. It's not the basis of why we're here. Okay, uh, it's a place where. Uh, uh, the, the, the first part of the, the worship service is no longer, you know, thought of as praise and worship, but it's song time. You know, it's, it's what we do to get started, okay? Uh, it's a place where Bible studies and prayer meetings, you know, nobody shows up. Uh, it's a place where, you know, if, if somebody says, let's have a time of, you know, fasting and prayer, uh, you know, people don't participate because that's inconvenient. Uh, it's just, it's a place where it may look good, 
It may have a great building. You know? I mean, it may look really good, but it's making no impact for the kingdom of God. Okay? Dead church. I want want you to think about this. A dead church has got to be one of the most confounding mysteries to the hosts of heaven. Those, Those ministering spirits that flood the atmosphere and yet stand at at the same time they're in the atmosphere here they also stand in the presence of God right it's like all right I mean imagine this they they see this dead church they see this church for whom Jesus came and died and 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 made it possible brought it to life and yet it's acting and looking dead and yet They turn around, and right there they see the radiance of God's glory and Jesus sitting at his right hand, interceding, I mean, very much alive. And they're looking and go, how how can this be? And yet you're down here and it's dead. It's just got to be like, it's got to be a mystery to them that they don't know how how to process that that can be going on. And so there's no doubt that this letter was written as a warning to the people at Sardis and to any of us today who are playing church, who are playing church, who, who are trying to look good, but there's no fruit in our lives to back it up. So now, because what we got to really realize, okay, is before we get too riled up about the concept of a dead church and how awful that is, let's remember what a dead church is. A dead church is a collection of lifeless Christians. That's how a church becomes dead. It's the people that are in it are lifeless. So let's talk about us, you know. Can we look alive and yet be dead? Well, I think we've all known some folks can go to great lengths to seem one way, but actually be and feel quite different, right? Even though, you know, maybe they're dying spiritually or already dead. I mean, look, we've all known there are people who can be very insecure in how they feel, right? We've all known people like that. We may have felt that way before. So what do you do? Do you want everybody to know you're feeling insecure? No. So you find clothes that make you feel good or you do your hair some of you do your hairdos in ways that make you feel good. And, but, I mean, you try to, they try to find ways on the outside to make themselves not feel insecure, but to look like they're secure. We all know people who are hurting and wounded on the inside. And yet, what do they do? They look for solutions to that, whether it's work, drugs, exercise, alcohol, sex, anything. Anything that will deaden the pain will deaden the pain or at least hide it. There are people who can be claiming to be walking in faith, and yet they haven't had a decent quiet time, maybe in months, maybe in years. Uh, no meaningful encounter with God. Uh, they, they actually are leading an empty life with no sign of spiritual growth, no sign of God's power at work in their lives and certainly no impact on family and friends and coworkers and the people where God, that God has put within their sphere of influence. Looking good on the outside, but nothing spiritually alive on the inside. So then, the Holy Spirit, Jesus prompted John to write the challenge to that church after the rebuke. And so what, what was the challenge? Well, in verses 2 and 3, it starts out with a real clear challenge. He said, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Have you ever, uh, have you ever attended like a class reunion from years ago, you know, from way back years ago or have you kept up with any friends like from way back years ago on Facebook or anything like that? And, and if you have, you know, going back maybe decades, okay, uh, you may have seen some of those folks 
still kind of looking and acting the way they did back in high school? You ever seen any, anybody ever done anything like that? So, you know, they're, they're still kind of telling the same jokes from, you know, a long time ago, or they, they still call, you know, so-and-so the same nickname, or, you know, I don't know, some of them are still trying to pretend they have hair, okay? But they're just looking for ways to, 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 that, it's, that life is still like it was back then. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen anything like that, you can kind of be tempted to want to help them break out of that, <laughs> you know? I mean, and you might kind of want to just kind of go, you know, wake up. You know, wake up. It's, it's 2022. It's not, you know, whatever year they're locked into, okay? Well, here's the great news. What Jesus was doing here is he was doing that. He was saying, wake up. Okay? But, but when, when you want to hand them that mirror, you know, and say, hey, you know, look in the mirror, you know, wake up and, you know, come get current. When Jesus puts that mirror in front of us and says, wake up, he's not doing it to embarrass us. He's not doing us to tear us down in front of our old friends or call us out. He's telling us to wake up because he wants to wake us up spiritually. He wants us to see what's happened in our lives and to wake up to save what remains. He doesn't want those last embers of that spiritual fire to go out. He wants to wake us up and get us back to, to the life that he's called us to live before it's too late. The word that, you know, when there was a, there was a, a situation where Jesus raised a, a little girl back to life in Mark 5.41, uh, Jairus' daughter. And it said that they asked Jesus to go in. Jesus just says, went in in Mark 5.41. It says, then he took the child by the hand and he says to her, Talitha kumi, that was the, 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 the language, and it said, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, wake up. Wake up. He was, he was speaking life back into her. He was saying, wake up. Okay? And, and so that's what he's, it's that same word that is calling, that he's calling the church at Sardis to come back to life, to wake up, come back to life. And, you know, one of the things that I, I really love about the Word of God and, and the faith that we can, we can have in it and follow it is any time we are given a challenge, any time the Word of God says, you need to do this, right? Or says it real directly, like, wake up. We're never given a direction or a challenge without it also telling us how. How? Think how frustrating that would be to be told, like, you got to get things back, back in line. Good luck figuring it out. You know, let me, let me know, you know, okay, when you, when you figure it out. But right here in this letter, it, he laid it out for the church on how to... To wake up. To what did wake up mean? Okay. Well, he said, so it's wake up and repent, right? He called them. They need to change. He said, look, no more indifference. No more going with the flow. Reverse your course. I mean, that's what repent means, right? Repent means change direction. Right now, church, you're going in a bad direction. Change direction and come back to life. Uh, the spiritual laziness, it's crept in. It's gone unnoticed because you thought you were impenetrable. You had all these sides that were a steep cliff, right? You didn't even bother to post a guard. You've allowed the, the, your life spiritually to become attacked because you haven't been doing the things that would provide you with that protection. Turn away from that spiritual laziness, your complicity with culture that's led to false teaching and sinful behavior to creep in. And it's entered unnoticed, just like those soldiers that just slowly took their time climbing the wall and then just opened up the gates for the enemy to come rushing in. And then he says, after, so now, now that you're awake and you've repented, right, which is you've, you've said, yes, Lord, I want to turn, then he says, strengthen what remains. Now, okay, I don't know about you guys, I'm not a really great gardener, okay, but, and I'm very good at breaking plants and 
you know, trampling on them and, you know, doing things. But one of the things that I have learned is, is plants are actually, a lot of shrubs and things are actually pretty hardy. Okay? And, and in spite of my lack of skill, they live and they grow. But occasionally what happens is I've broken a stalk or a stem or I've done something, okay? And, and so, if you will, I wake up and repent, you know, oh, I've made a mistake here. But then it says strengthen what remains. And so part of what that involves for me is I need to go clip off the dead stuff. I need to go clip off the stuff that's no longer useful so that what all the nourishment and the food that's available to the plant goes to the good stuff that remains, right? And so that's what he's talking about. He's saying, look, you need to strengthen what remains. This stuff that led you off, that called you to become like the culture around you and not like the God you've been called to be like, you need to like get rid of that so that the, the nourishment you receive is actually drawing you back to the life you were called to be. Uh, he's saying, look, for these believers, you've remained faithful uh, so fan back into flames the true things that remain alive. And that's what we need to do sometimes. And then he says, remember, remember what you've received. And then here comes a really hard one. And then it says, and obey it. Okay, he says, remember it now, but then actually do it. You know, how many of you like to work out? How many of you like to like go to the gym and really work up a sweat? And I mean, just really, really work out really hard. How many? Yeah, I know everybody, right? I see all the hands. <laughs> I see. Oh, you should see it. For those of you online, you should see the hands. It's everybody, right? It's everybody. It's just it's incredible to see this response. You know, here's the thing. I can go to the gym and I can work with a personal trainer. And personal trainers are expensive. If you ever thought about using one, okay, you might have gotten the price and changed your mind, okay? But you know what? You could go to the gym and work with the most expensive personal trainer in the Twin Cities. I have no idea what that would cost, but it would cost a lot of money, right? And, and will you necessarily lose any weight or be in better health? Oh, what's the key? You got to do it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I can have a coach give me a list of a whole page of an hour-long workout. And I, can, and I can go to a really nice uh, clothing store and buy the best workout clothes they've got. I can probably find some $500 sneakers, too. You know, they're Bluetooth, and I think they have a microwave, and you know, they do a lot of things. Okay. I mean, I can spend a lot of money and look really good walking around the gym with a list of things to do, but it wasn't, won't do any good unless I go do it, unless I do the work, okay? And that's what he's calling them to do. He's saying, okay, these things now that have come back, actually go do it, obey it, because that's where the benefit comes from. That's where the change in your life, that's how you come back to life, okay? So we just have to go do the work. You know, like Jairus' daughter, the church at Sardis was being called back to life. And for us, too, we're being called to, to live that rich, full life that Jesus came and created us the opportunity to live through his death, burial, and resurrection. He wants us to wake up and get back into the game to be active for the kingdom of God. But just like a little bit ago, we were talking about the rebirth of a church can only come about as the result of a rebirth of Spirit-filled believers, right? In the same way that a dead church is just a reflection of, of spiritually dead, lifeless members, therefore a, a living, active, vibrant, spirit-filled church that is on fire for God and is actually trying to live their faith out among the people that they're around, that, that church only comes back to life as a result of being filled with spiritually alive members as well, right? Right? And, but think about the power of that. Think about when, you know, the, the Word of God talks about when two or three people can agree on something and pray about something, that there's power, just if you can get two or three to agree and pray. Well, imagine, look, just the group that's right here. If we all just said, look, I just want to be 
I don't know, Lord, wherever you put me, I'll go. Whatever, if you put someone in front of me, I'll tell them. I'll show your love. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to be used by you. Just lead me, show me, equip me. Imagine what this group right here can do. We got more than the disciples and Jesus' apostles changed the world. Okay? But so, I mean, we, we can never allow ourselves. The enemy will do his best to make us, you and me as individuals and as a group, feel like we have no power. It's just me. I'm just one person. I'm, I'm, who am I? Who knows me? I'm not famous. I'm not powerful. I'm not, yeah, that, but look, look what one person can do. Some of you know you've shared the love of God with a neighbor, a coworker, or a friend, and it's changed that person's life forever. And, 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 and you know, you're, like all of us, you're not famous. You're not on TV. You're not wherever, but God's not looking for that. God's looking for people whose hearts are open to him. What, what, who, the person God can use is the one who just says, Lord, I, don't, I, don't have, I may not have the right certificate on the wall that says I'm qualified, but my heart's open to you. My heart is yours if you'll use me. Okay, And God will use that heart. He'll use it every day. So finally... The letter gets wrapped up. Jesus has John write a word of promise. And he says in verses 4 and 5, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They're going to walk with me dressed in white because they're worthy. So he who overcomes will be dressed in white and never have his name blotted out, but he'll be acknowledged before Jesus by Jesus before God. And I think this word of encouragement is really cool because it kind of comes on two fronts. One, he says, first, he says, not every believer, not every believer in Sardis has soiled their clothes. Not every believer has become spiritually dead. Okay, that's an analogy, right? He really wasn't talking about dirty, you know, T-shirts and stuff. He, but they've, you've, some of you haven't moved into sinful living. You have stayed faithful. There's a group, okay? And, and so for those people... Jesus is saying, look, you know, carry on. Stay at it. We need you. You're, you know, you, you, this is what you were called to do is to share your faith. So, so stay strong and carry on. But to those who had slipped into sinful living, it provided hope because it provided a path forward. Jesus never gives again we never get challenged to change something in our lives without being shown a path forward and he and he and so he called them that and he said that you can uh, you can come and walk with me because to be clothed in white means to be set apart for God it means to be set apart it means to be somebody who says Lord I'll let you use me whether it's in with my neighbors whether it's with my coworkers, whether it's with family whether it's with friends, right? It, it's just, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to be used by you. Set apart. This, uh, this verse, when they read the letter, the people in Sardis, this would have made a lot of sense to them because a lot of the people, okay, there were a lot of pagan religions in Sardis also, and one of the common themes of pagan religions and the ones that were practiced in Sardis were the same was this idea that you were not allowed to approach those pagan gods unclean. Okay? You had to, you, had to, uh, you know, and, and with them it literally meant also, like, you couldn't wear in, you know, if you'd worked all day, you couldn't go to the pagan temple wearing your work clothes because you'd be sweaty and dirty. It literally meant that. But it also, so the whole idea was before you could approach the pagan gods, you had to go get yourself cleaned up. And then you could come and go to, go to them. Jesus, in contrast to that, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, said, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. That, by the way, that, that means you could, you, could, you could show up at Bible study at the end of a hard day of work in sweaty, dirty work clothes. I mean, you could literally, okay? But, but what he's really talking about here is your life is beaten up. You don't have to sort out the issues of your life before you can come to God. He's saying, come to me as you are. Because what does he say? He says, take my yoke upon you. He said, let me exchange. You got a heavy load you're carrying. Let me trade with you. Let me take the heavy load. Let me take the burdens you're feeling. And what let me give you, because he says, look, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Instead of being told, you got to go sort out your life, fix it all up, clean yourself up, get your act together, then you can come. Jesus says, come as you are. Come as you are. Come messed up. Come broken. Come hurting. Come, come feeling like nobody loves you. You're all alone. Come. And there, when you come, he'll say, let me have all that. Let me, and let me, let me replace it with my love. Let me replace it with my hope. Man, isn't that a wonderful exchange? That's a deal. That's a deal, right? That is a deal, okay? This promise from God, I mean, it's kind of like, who wouldn't want that? Why? Who, who would say, oh, no, no, I like living in a pit. You know, I want to be lonely. I want to be hopeless and helpless. No, I, I will trade that all day long because, man, to know, I mean, who here, I, nobody's got an answer, I just want, who here can legitimately say somewhere in my life along the way I have felt in an unexplainable way, I have felt the love of God. I have known the love of God. I, I mean, I know, I, I, I know better than just like book learning can tell you, I have felt the love of God in my life. Yeah, if you have, then you know that that is a way better deal than carrying around the junk that you've got, that you got on your own. Okay, so here's the thing that's just so sweet and loving about this, right? You and I, we don't have to clean ourselves up. And that's really a good thing because you know what? You can't. I mean, isn't that really the truth? Because you can't clean yourself up. I mean, we're sinful people, and I can't get rid of my sin. If I could, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. You see what I mean? Why did he bother? Why would he have left heaven? That was a pretty sweet place. He left to come here because he understood that you and I had a problem that even if we wanted to try and solve it, not qualified, incapable, can't do it. So he came to do something you couldn't do, even if you wanted to. So he's just saying, bring it all and give it all to him, and he'll take it and exchange it and make you new, make you fresh. Yeah, it's all possible. So for us, I think just a way to wrap this up for the morning is this. is So like, can we all agree that it would be good to avoid the problems of Sardis? Yes. Would that be, can I, is that a fair, is that a safe statement? Okay. Okay, we don't, we don't want to be the church in Sardis, right? Okay, so how, and, and you know, because that's like the, first of all, looking good, but actually dead, right? Okay, so how do we do that? Well, first thing is, let's remember how that whole problem in Sardis started, and let's remember and acknowledge that you can be tempted by sin. Remember, they got complacent, so they didn't post a guard on three sides. Okay, you need to post a guard spiritually around all areas of your life. Okay, don't leave three sides open and just guard this one gate. Because trust me, the enemy will see that. And he'll go, no, I won't bother. That gate looks guarded. I'll go over here and I'll attack you somewhere else. So we need to understand that, that the enemy, we, that first of all, we're no, we're no match for the enemy on our own, right? We're only a match for the enemy by the power of God. Okay, so, and so we need to acknowledge we can be tempted by sin so that we never let our guard down and we remain strong. The second thing then, how do we stay strong? Is because we need to feed ourselves with spiritual food, right? We need to feed ourselves with spiritual food. 
And how do we do that? Well, you guys know we need, we need to be reading our Bible. I mean, like, I don't know how many of you are doing the daily Bible reading, like reading through the Bible, you know, in a year. Okay, but Ben, that's a way, however you need to do it, whether it's by a structured approach or you just need to sit down and read a little every day, however you do it. But I want to encourage you because, you know, there are some days I read that daily Bible reading and some days I read it and go, oh, this was so for me today. Oh, that was just what I needed. There's other days it's really good, but it just, you know, it, it wasn't like the thing I necessarily needed to hear. But you know what I do know for sure? In Hebrews, it says the word of God is living and active. Okay, it doesn't just say the verses you like today are living and active. It says the word of God is living and active. No, and let me tell you why that's important. Is because if you will discipline yourself to every day read the word of God, even if the verse you read doesn't just like jump off the page and, you know, grab you and you go, oh, that's the best verse I've ever read. Let me tell you, because it's living and active and it's the word of God and you let it into your life, it will work its way through your life and it will still bring blessing and teach you and guide you and protect you. Do you get what I mean? It's kind of like I, there's some vegetables I like better than others, but if I'll eat them, they'll all, even the ones that aren't my favorites, get into me and give me feed and nutrition. And Does that make sense? They don't all have to be my favorite. Okay, so if you're reading Leviticus, it's still good. You know, I mean, don't, don't, don't get bogged down just but but here's the thing but it's like the thing about exercise the thing is though you got to do the work that's that's your part that's my part right you got to do the work you can't just look at it and go i got a big thick bible here it's full of god's word good for me no it's only good if i open it up and i actually read it and let it into my heart so you need to feed yourself that way and we feed ourselves not only by reading God's word, but it's like being a part of the Bible study and to the ladies thing on Tuesday and the fellowship times to get together. Because when we're together, we encourage one another. We don't, we don't drive each other off to some be alone. We, we come together and we support and encourage one another. And then, look, here's the last thing. Because we all know this. We can all say, yep, 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 yep. I agree with all that. But occasionally we're all going to drop the ball, aren't we? Occasionally, we're all going to fail. We're going to have a bad day. We're going to say something. We're going to do something. And we're going to think, oh, Lord, I, you know, can I have a do-over? <laughs> you know, can I have a do-over? I shouldn't have said it. I wish I hadn't. Okay. I can't change what I did, can I? I mean, our, the words are out of my mouth. The de- okay. But what can I do? I can immediately, as quickly as I recognize it, I can go to God and I can say, Lord, I need to confess this to you. Let me tell you what I said. God already knows. I'm telling it's for me. I need to say it, right? I need to confess it. I need to repent of it. Say, Lord, I want to change. Turn direction. Don't want to do that again. Lord, please forgive me. And then turn away from it. Look, and then and then here's the last key to that, is once you've done that, then you've got to forgive yourself and move on. Because God's forgiving you. Okay. And by the way, then we got to forgive each other too. You know, sometimes the worst thing we are to each other is we like to bring up old stuff because we know about it. God's forgiven the person. Drop it. Drop it. Don't ever bring it up again. Because what good does it do? That means you haven't. If 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 somebody has apologized to you for something and 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 they've asked for your forgiveness and you bring it up again, you know what? You've just told me one thing. You didn't forgive them. Because you can't time to bring it up. It's because you still haven't forgiven them. You're still holding a grudge. So, so now they've, they've apologized. You're the one that needs to do some work with God. So we all need to confess our sins and, and turn away from it and then forgive. We're forgiven, so then we forgive ourselves because God's forgiven you. And then we focus on moving forward. Okay, stand up with me here as we get ready to close, okay? Look, Jesus... This letter was very simple. Jesus was calling on the church at Sardis, on the people of Sardis, to come back out of the grave, right? To come back to life and to become the followers, not just in name, but in how they were living their lives, right? To actually be followers of Jesus. Because he wanted them to escape the destruction that he said would come, if they didn't, they were warned. 
Okay? And that's what he's calling you and me to do also. Okay? He's calling us, not because he's wanting to threaten you about the problem. He's wanting to call you to the better life. He's calling you to the good life. Okay? So, now, just for a second, everybody, let's just, let's just private time, just bow your heads, however, just for privacy. Okay? But today, if there's a part of your life where you realize, maybe not your whole life, but if there's some part of your life where you've realized that you may look good, but spiritually you're not where you need to be, not where you ought to be, not even where you want to be, and you want to ask Jesus to bring back to life that which remains, to bring, take what remains, bring it back to life and get you back on path with Jesus' plan, just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Okay. Lord, today you have seen our hands, and but Father, more than our hands, Lord, you know our hearts. God, our desire is, Father, oh man, Lord, we don't want to people be people that just look good. We want to be people, Lord, that are alive spiritually. Lord, we want to be people, Father, that are, Lord, that can be used by you. Lord, that people that where you can allow your love to flow through us, to bless people around us, to touch broken hearts, to heal broken lives, Lord, that because of your power at work through us, Lord. Allow us, Lord, to be your hands and feet every day with someone, Father, with someone. We ask that now in Jesus' name. Finally, brothers, Rejoice. Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with each other. And live in peace. And may the God of love and peace be with you all. Amen.